0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
2: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However,
1: Welcome to the Chelsea fancast, fuelled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is still here without being there. And still we wait. It's tough, but surely better than the alternative a horrible illness, even death for yourself or a loved one. Rightly, football has been furloughed, but the rumours abound that the Premier League clubs will bring it back by any means necessary, which translated means behind closed doors. Uh, We'll miss football but is that what we really want? Has the Premier League misread the room or are they just desperate to survive? A valid point perhaps. As ever, only time will tell. And tonight's show is in absentia, Chelsea fancast number 502. And, uh, you know, as befits the the current state of affairs and largely the kind of material we're doing, we have a a very special guest on the show tonight. But before I get to him, actually, no, I'll get to him first, if you don't mind, J.K. Um, a good, a good. Well, the wait will be worth it in your case. Just bear with me. But uh, in in Tim's case, a very esteemed guest, very good friend of of mine, and Jonathan's, and the show. Uh, and as I said, Tim, a man uh, who we've been drawing heavily from because of our Fifty Years of Chelsea series, which of course. It's a period that you've covered so brilliantly in your book, Stanford Bridges Falling Down. Anyway, hello, Tim. How are you?
0: I'm extremely well. Good good to be on the show. Always good to be on the show.
1: Good to have you, mate. As I said, it's been a while, but uh, it seems so uh, fitting. Uh, I mean, you know, don't take this the wrong way, all the other fancasters, but I've had to look at the the age group that I've got, and, and I think Alex summed it up perfectly when we had her on on the 1970 episode and I think it's the quietest I've ever seen Alex on a Chelsea fan cast and she clearly really didn't know anything about it or or cared even less so I thought okay I'll have a think it's going to be the oldsters for a while so again don't don't be offended by that but uh you two were both there and of course uh the, as ever uh the ebullient effusive uh the lovely the uh I don't I don't I'm not going to say how old you are but of course it's his birthday today happy birthday Mr Jonathan Kidd I can't
0: see you, Jonathan. I just make that point, waving to your audience. Your audience can't see you.
3: No, I was whooping with joy for the fact that Chidge <laughs> was uh, was uh, <laughs> was mentioning my birthday. These little things when you're living on your own and uh, uh, and down. I mean, I, I to to celebrate my birthday, I decided to stay at home today. Thought that was uh, quite a good thing to do. Well you're not uh, even at home, are you? You know, I'm not even at home. I'm in my office. With a camp bed and clothes, no wardrobes, nothing like that. Clothes in plastic bags delivered by the girlfriend. But they're bringing me a cake at the end of this show. A gluten-free chocolate cake baked by my 11-year-old daughter,
1: Georgia. Oh, lovely.
3: And may I say, but I think, Tim, um, Chidge, an example of the (laughs) fact that Alex wasn't interested was that because we now have Zoom you can actually see her leaving the room and, uh, and actually not being involved at all. I felt that was a pretty good statement about her interest in 1970. So, uh, and then also then writing, and then going off at an angle, going off to another chair and writing something down. I thought, well, we're not going to hear much of a contribution from uh, Ali. Her, t-
1: her, her time will come, JK. Her will time will come. come. It will um, indeed come. Okay, talking about this, I mean, obviously, we, uh, you've been getting lots of love today on social media. I hope you like the picture that I put of you uh, when I wish you happy birthday on the Chelsea fancast Twitter feed uh, for those who don't understand that picture which is a rather it's Jonathan pulling a rather strange face okay <laughs> this is a common occurrence I know but I remember why he was pulling that face because that was a show where I think I think somebody had brought along the actual smelling salts that had revived Samuel Eto'o and I don't even remember the match now. And we all had a sniff of this stuff. Yes, yes. And, and we did it on air. And Jonathan's face literally was like that as, as, uh, as the photograph. Remember that?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah crazy. Good stuff. Um,
3: was very good fun. Who brought it along? I can't remember. Who I who can't was.
1: remember now. But somebody, one of the journalists we used to have on there, I think. Anyway, uh, it is a week of birthdays, I have to say. I mean, it's Jonathan's birthday today. Uh, it is the Chelsea Fancast 12th birthday tomorrow. It's almost a teenager, Jonathan. That's a horrible oh, thought, oh. isn't it? There you go. And Is that dog years, though? Is no, it no, no. No, it's, it's literally 12 years tomorrow that we started doing it. Uh, and uh, of course on Wednesday it's the 50th anniversary of Chelsea winning the 1970 uh, FA Cup and it's also my mum's birthday so so how about happy birthday mum i even sent uh, put her a card in the post to her today so there you go on the show tonight we praise Chelsea's latest statement on their response to the COVID-19 pandemic but we question the media's reaction With the rumour of a return to football behind closed doors starting in late June, we ask, is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Or will absence have made the heart grow fonder? And Olivier Giroud has purportedly signed a new one-year deal, having almost gone in January, of course. But is the intention for him to stay? Or is it to increase his resale value? And in parts two and three, we continue our 50 years of Chelsea series looking back this week at the 1972-73 season. For many, this marks the beginning of the end of the kings of the king's roadside, Having made a great start to the league campaign, we finished a disappointing 12th as the title challenge fizzled out after a woeful winter period, which also saw us getting knocked out of the semi-finals of the League Cup and the quarter-finals of the FA Cup. So what a cheery evening we have in prospect for you tonight. But there you go. In part four, we wrap up. We've got a couple of emails for you, so we'll read those out. And as ever, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is com forward slash chelsea Fancast where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And, of course, you can also tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show to tell us what you think about the games and anything on Chelsea. I mean, anything. Absolutely bloody well anything. Anyway, we'll
3: have a go at answering, won't we, Chidge? We
1: we'll will. Go. Anything, mate. Yeah. Apart from how old is Jonathan Kidd? That's off limits, all right? Even
3: he doesn't know.
1: There you go. He doesn't have an age. He's, he's like an ethereal being.
3: I'm like I'm like a, a, an African
1: footballer in the. You uh, are Roger main... Miller. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> one for the teenagers. Anyway, after this very the short... Roger
0: Miller, King of the Road. Roger Miller. What that one it?
1: too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Trailer for sale or Rent.
1: Oh dearie me. Let
3: fifty cents. You old got, you, no, What is yeah. it? Can't remember the rest of it.
1: You old boys, honestly. Right after this interlude, we will be talking football. I promise you. right okay um yeah i mean an interesting week uh it's amazing isn't it i have to say i mean fair play to the broadcasters and the and the newsprint uh and the online uh media sources who must find it really hard to try and find stuff to write uh you know on football when there isn't any football uh hence they probably come out with so much guff about transfers but there you go um there was a very interesting statement released by Chelsea this week, though, which, cut, you know, putting it in summary, basically uh, confirmed what they have been doing in terms of uh, providing a lot of assistance and help for the local community, uh, the hospitals, the NHS, as we know. But they also made a, a point of saying that, you know, we will be reimbursed, uh, I think. That's pretty much what I've read. Certainly for the Munich tickets, there's also talk, I think, if it doesn't get going again, that there'll be reimbursements for season tickets. And... um, And also that the players uh, have not agreed to a 10% pay cut, but will continue and are encouraged to do so by the club to continue to give uh, charitably to all sorts of various organisations which they get involved with. So, you know, really very much taken as a a very positive statement by Chelsea fans, so much so that the supporters' trust actually not only retweeted it, but emailed all of our members to to really say, well done, the club, who seem to have, I think, taken a a massive lead on this unlike other shitheads like liverpool and spurs to name but two but surprise surprise jk that's not what the media focused on
3: they focused on the players didn't they not taking a pay cut um which i have to i don't quite know where they got the information from but it it seemed very poor because you know very well. poor very poor that if uh, Liverpool had come up with any of these Chelsea ideas, the press would have been dancing around in, in, in gay abandon, um, so happy that their uh, the team that they're all in love with is behaving so um, generously and uh, uh, and excellently during this appalling crisis. But no, they have a go at us, which uh, w- once again seems to smack hugely of even some- what we're going to get onto, um, something from... Uh, um, Fifty years ago, because um, when in doubt, have a go at Chelsea, the whipping boys. Let's have, let's find a, a, a way of uh, of turning something good into something bad. And interestingly, um, was it Matt Haig had uh, reported this, and you looked at it; it was all down to the headline. Matt Law, Matt Law. Sorry, all down to the headline. His headline bore no relation to actually what the story was, and what he then mentioned. To
1: be to be so fair yeah. to Matt, Jonathan, and I've yeah. be, I've been there. You, on this mm. issue repeatedly, is that, I mean, I write articles. I mean, and it's, it's it's small beer even compared to people like Matt Law. But, I mean, I write a weekly op-ed for Football London, as you know, and I submit a very pithy title, as I do for these shows. Of course it does. And I have absolutely no control out, over that. To be fair to Football London, who I've got a pretty good relationship with and they kind of know where I'm coming from and they've not fucked me over many times... But there have been occasions where they've completely just taken something out of context and put a headline on there to get clicks. That's what it, That's the business that they're in. So I have an element of sympathy with Matt for that. But he wasn't the only one. There was no, a plethora no. of journalists who
3: were doing it. He was that. just somebody who was taken to immense task by yeah. um, lots of Chelsea fans on the, uh, on the Twitter feed, which, uh, which I thought was right. And he tried to defend himself, and um, which was good because lots of them wouldn't. He actually came back in. But nonetheless, it is, it is cheap. It's very cheap because clearly Abramovich is behaving like no other person in the Premier League over this. Which is that's
1: right. Completely
3: praiseworthy and laudable and fantastic. And, well, you know, the cynics, of course, are saying that it's an attempt for him to uh, um, get some kind of access to the UK again um, over a visa. But, well, if that's the case, so be it. But uh, um, the fact that he's so particularly, the, of, I mean, are the. You've met him, the um, the man at the bottom of the stairs, um, uh, the steward who lets us in to Aussies. Is um, uh, always lovely been bloke, lovely, lovely bloke, a man you fan. But he was always saying how well the club treated him as a steward, and they were always asking, you know, always thinking about his welfare. And it, but his that 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 weekend helped him live. He was a security person somewhere else during the week. But the weekend was just topped all the funds up for his family, and it was absolutely perfect. And um, Abramovich Roman is maintaining the, the the payments for them, which is f- absolutely fantastic. Because he said he actually said at the time, if anything happens, I won't be able to afford to feed my family. Yeah. So you know, this is this is a respot really on piece of chari- well, charity. What charity? And, and the ex players. People- yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: the ex-players as well. You can you can put them into yeah. the same category. I mean, Tim, you know, the, the usual suspects, well, the usual and unusual suspects, really. Henry Winter was very positive in what the club have done and oh. has done all the time. But then Henry usually is. But John Cross was too, and he's not necessarily somebody who will, will support no. Chelsea. Normally, the, the the issue I I've I heard from a lot of the journalists I know is that, well, whether you like it or not, you know, really, that was, the, you know, and I, I know this. I mean, I, I've actually, I mean, I used to kind of run a PR consultancy and one of the tests that I used to give people who would come in, I was to get them to read a PR, uh, you know, a press release and say, what are they not trying to say here? You know, that was the job interview. And in a sense, that was a class. there was a classic case of it. You know, Chelsea putting out lots of very positive news, all of which true, all of which we welcome, all which we love. And yet, if you're a journalist, the news angle in that is that the players are still in negotiation to cut uh, their salary by 10% when other clubs in the Premier League, I mean, I think Bournemouth, 25%, and there are yep. others too. So, you know, there is an argument to be had, well, you know, the journalists are doing what the journalists should do, which is to pick up on the news and not believe the, the PR spin.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my problem, this goes right back to the start of this, when, you know, Brady the, immediately said, right, void the season, so we're not relegated, And, and then Liverpool and Spurs did their the furlough bit. And Chelsea said nothing, absolutely rightly said nothing. And what they've done is they've done positive things, but not in the trumpet-blowing way. Whereas there's some of the rubbish, the, the, the U-turn by Liverpool, the U-turn by Levy, and then Levy gets on the 9 o'clock, or the Spurs are on suddenly on the 10 o'clock news, doing something for the NHS. Chelsea are doing stuff. But I, it just sickens me that some of these clubs have, have realised their PR has been calamitous, literally calamitous, and are trying to do something about it. I don't. I don't sense Chelsea are doing it just just for that. They're, they're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do.
1: Well, you you and I know that firsthand, don't we? Because I I wrote that piece uh, on the Chelsea Foundation for the Trust the other yeah. week, and you, me, and Cliff went down to the foundation, yeah. and I made that very point to Simon. I said, for God's sake, you know, we, we know. The good work the foundation does but very few people do because you never really trumpet it and they said he said to us and it's in that article we don't do it for positive PR we do it because we can and we do it because we yep. want to
0: well indeed and you know the fact that friends of mine take part in the, the the walking football at Walton, which Chelsea fund and organize that's 600 people a week and some of them who do it didn't know that Chelsea were actually you know that we're funding it. It's. It's. They're doing it because it's right, not because they they're trying to get on the front page of the papers or the back page of the papers.
1: You know? Highly laudable. Well, I mean, I know the outpouring of appreciation that came from Chelsea supporters, and I think if I'm the club, maybe that's what I'm thinking. That's what matters. It's. It, it, you know, we're yeah. very honest about our club. We love it to distraction, and you know, we praise it when they do good things and we kick them when they don't. But this, is, in my view, they've definitely been doing really good stuff for the for the duration of this uh, pandemic and all all power to their elbow and uh, I won't I won't have have a word against it um talking of uh, clubs and uh, whether they're doing the right thing or not there's been some rumors kicking around jonathan that um there's been some rumors kicking around jonathan that that you know, basically, it's going to football is going to come back probably in late June. I've heard rumours that it might be in the Midlands, all played in the Midlands, and it will all be behind closed doors. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure where I stand on this because, on the one hand, I think it's, I think they've misread the room totally. I think that you know, a lot, a lot of people I know on Twitter and you know, and Tim uh, really think there are bigger and better things to be thinking about right now when there's still hundreds of people a day dying than whether we get football back. Uh, and yet, I also understand totally, and you know, because I know you read my piece last week for Football London.
3: Which was excellent,
1: Jeff. Thank you, yeah. I, 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 I saw what you said. That was very sweet of you. But there really is an existential threat to football here. They cannot go on. It's just not sustainable for them not to be playing. And then, if you factor in the fact that if they don't finish the season, then they are going to be held to ransom by the likes of Sky, uh, for failing to deliver a product. So I can understand why they, they're, they're so keen to play. But where does the truth lie in this, J.K.?
3: What do you say? So why do you mean it's, it's an existential uh, um, um, problem with, with football? Because the football isn't going to stop. Yeah, like but it. Jonathan,
1: well, well, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, none of us really know. But the reality is you cannot... I mean, whether we like it or not, and as you know, I don't like it, football clubs are businesses. Some of them are global okay. businesses. Yes. All right? even i mean look at the, look at the flaming problems we got with my internet connection tonight virgin one of the biggest uh, global brands in the world are screwed because of the disaster of the the air travel etc 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 so it doesn't matter how big you are as a company or how rich you're perceived to be you cannot speak, you cannot sustain yourself if you're not earning any revenue
3: financially i see what you mean financially but i was just thinking that whoever is available to play they will attempt to get them to play, and you wonder whether possibly it might even be government-led, uh, to f- from a r- morale point of view, or just to to stop people from if this goes on and on from wandering around in the streets saying there's nothing wrong with me and I want to get back to work and I've got no money. I mean, I don't. It, it depends how far we go into this and how far people are capable of sustaining this the lockdown setup. But I think they're look they whatever. State football will be in, they will arrange for something to happen to be shown on television. Yeah, but, make, but
0: which television? Of it. This is my problem. It's the pressures coming from Sky and BT. Yeah, the game will be shown to what most two million people out of a population of 60 million. Tim, so, Tim. Won't they make it free but make the advertising well, unbelievable. Well, it, this yeah. is this
1: yeah. is a well, hang on a minute, boys. I just want to pick you up on that, Tim, because I'm not so sure necessarily that the pressure is coming from the broadcasters. I think the pressure is on the Premier League. They are shit scared of reneging on that contract and having to cough up 762 million yeah. quid, which, let's face it, we all know they've already spent. Right, but but, that, but surely then
0: they've got to deliver the product for Sky and BT. And if they're live on Sky or BT, then they're not live on BBC or the IT or ITV. So I, I think there may well be some games on... Um, free-to-air, but not the big games. The game when Liverpool win the title, whenever that is, that's not going to be viewed on BBC. It's going to be on Sky or it's going to be on BT. They've got another problem, I think, when people who've got Sky or BT will have friends around breaking social distancing rules, etc., etc., to watch big games. I can understand why they're doing it and I can understand why the football people want it and I can sort of understand why the government wants it. But there's a danger of it of it biting people in the foot it, it just I, yeah, but I i worry about about how it will be perceived by the non-football part of the country which is most of the country but, but
3: tim won't they be um i'm i'm thinking the other way which is that if they make it free to air you get round that and the government yeah, will then, true, but then
0: sky sky and bt don't get their revenues. no so. well they
3: the, <laughs> the government may then just say well well will bail you out. It's a question of how the government are feeling about, you know, the, the aftermath of this, this and also making people be not having riots on their hands. And as you say, not having people coming around and watching it. Yeah, but, but, uh, but, uh, my, but my fear is all this business of behind closed doors in the Midlands, all it needs is for one of the players in a team yeah. to, to be positive to the coronavirus at that period when they're being tested. And that will be the end of the team. The team can't possibly then play yeah. Because what will they do? They trust test everybody and see for well, those who are who have caught it. Well, they just won't play that week, or they won't play for for two weeks, or whatever. They just don't play. I, you know, it, it strikes me as being. I mean, I haven't say that if that was the case. That was you just accepted the rules to get the football back. But being a, they were talking about having training with people. Um, with social distancing, weren't they? And uh, uh, and all the logistics being, all the stewarding or whatever, the, the organisation, 200 people per team being socially distanced, the hotels being socially distanced. Then they get on the pitch and they're all right next to each other, sweating and breathing in each other's faces. I know. So, you know. That's what sport is. You can't play a kind of socially distanced football.
0: You could do your walking football, couldn't you then? You could do well, that. I've I've done socially distanced walking football just before we went into lockdown. It's fine, but that's sixty-year-old men.
3: Indeed, indeed. Well, unless they unless they say the only way you can qualify for playing for Chelsea, you've got to be over sixty. I'm and your man. I'm in. there. You're there. You'd be there. I'll be there too.
1: Um, okay, boys. I mean, here's a, just to throw this in. I have got a couple couple of things just to round this particular bit off. But one is that I wonder if uh certainly with sky I, I i would i would also argue bt as well i think sky and b and this is a point i made again in that piece jk i think sky and bt can survive without football more than the premier league can survive without sky and bt and i think therein lies the problem um the other thing i would say and, and tim this is something that you and i have hypothesized about over other issues I wonder what the breaking point is for supporters. I mean, I get the the sense from social media very much like you, that and Jonathan actually that that coming back too soon is is you know too much. You know that they really they really shouldn't be doing that. But the other thing is, so I I think that basically supporters are not very happy about that, even though we all love football. On the other hand, you know the fact that we've got out of the habit of going, and we've all said that this is an addiction that's very hard to break. Do you think that, Do you think that you know, when it does come back, a lot of people will have said, well, that's it, me, done? Or do you think it'll be a case of the absence making the heart grow fonder?
0: I think it'll be some considerable time before we're allowed to go into grounds. I think people will probably go back. But I think if, if they do this behind closed doors, it's interesting. It's some of the people who go to every game who seem most vexed by this. I think most people... You know, would, we'll go back. But, but when will that be? They'll have to have a vaccine before we can go. Before the, well, it's
1: 18 up. months, Tim, I 18 think. 18
0: months, you know. Yeah. Uh, it will. Some, pe- some people will think enough is enough. You know, you break, you break that link. We said this if we went to Wembley. Yeah. You know, break the link, people stop going. They don't go when we come back. So who knows? The club might think there's other people to step in. You know, we'll see. But I, I suspect some, but not many, We'll would stop going if 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 we were behind closed doors for eighteen months and came back for argument's sake september twenty twenty one yeah and then we could go back in the grounds then you know if there was a vaccine and and it and it worked and and what but we don't know that it could be that could be nine months away it could be nine years away nobody knows
1: yeah that's the very true very true a true fact from tim rolls there um Jonathan, what say you
3: um well, I, I I wonder if uh, whether they convince fit young players who possibly have had it, or they don't think will have it, or it's almost like being a gladiator. You dive in knowing that one of you is going to not die, but possibly catch it, and you that's the the price you pay, and uh, and that that's the kind of dare that you take for playing Premier League football. And it may be that there are less teams in it. It may, as we've talked about it before, it maybe like the. The second world war that you have a completely different number of teams partaking mm. and does that does that undermine the, the status of the competition i wonder um i don't think it should be it should still be called the premier league but it'd be interesting to see who is left in the competition if some clubs have gone bankrupt i suppose also what they're trying to do is to premier league is to avoid bankruptcy of yeah. other clubs as well aren't yeah. they? That's, of the main that's what you were talking about but I, i'm I'm my problem. very specifically personally. Is I'm asthmatic. I've had I get bronchitis every year. I had pneumonia two years ago. Um, if there are people, if we're all going, we're, we're supposedly locked down, and they say right, the lockdown is finished. Um, we're going out there, and it becomes this herd uh, aspect of give. Some people get it. Well, if I get it, I could possibly die. So uh, I'm not coming out anywhere to watch any football until this is all sorted. There may be. A whole series of braver people or people who've had it or whatever, who go, no, we're allowed in. Or they may even attempt to bizarrely social distance at the grounds,
1: which is a distinct possibility. Easier to do at at the Emirates, of course. Yeah, perfect for the Emirates. Absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Talking of which actually kind of indirectly, uh, and as you're you're you are, as you know, Jonathan, our resident transfer specialist, transfer rumour specialist on the Chelsea well, fancast. I,
3: I just somebody mentions a transfer and I say bollocks. That's yeah.
1: And that's that's the kind of level of analysis we prefer we love it. We love on it. the Chelsea fancast. There's a rumour, bollocks. That's our analysis, and that's the end of it. But um, it does appear that uh, Olivier Giroud, a man who I love massively, not just because he's got such a sexy beard, um, but apparently he has agreed to a new one-year deal. I mean, the cynic in me, Jonathan, says, I still can't see him staying, although, of course, we don't know what's going on. But on the other hand, is this just a ploy to increase his resale value on the basis that he'll probably bugger off anyway?
3: Or, oh, oh, Church, the other thing is, is, has there been a statement?
1: No. Well, I think this one's pretty... You know, this isn't as nebulous as a lot of the yeah, other rubbishy well, rumours. This
3: the same as the, uh, the um, um, Giroud to Inter. Here, a picture of, <laughs> of Giroux. no. Giroux this this his, is this Giroux is Giroud and his entourage at at uh, an airport in Milan, and they turn out to be not one of them is Giroud, and uh, and it was a complete. Low I think I think,
1: there's, I think there's more bona fides to this one than the other usual rubbish. But once again, I never
3: ever believe anything unless we see somebody holding a shirt or there's a statement. On the Chelsea on the Chelsea website. So I, I, I mean, I know somebody so rather succinctly put it the other day. What do you think was Chelsea Independent? Give him a name check. Do you think they or sit
1: Pete Sampson to us who actually call yeah. him friends?
3: In, indeed, yeah, Pete, yeah, Pete is a nice guy. Um Who actually? Put, <laughs> do you think they're sitting there with um Is yes, I've forgotten that for the moment. See, I must because <laughs> you know, it's Pete. Yeah, he's done that to me before. Actually, he's
0: done that
1: to me before. One <laughs> wonder...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> of course, it's Pete. Yeah, yeah, it's Pete. You're right? Do you think they're sitting there with their fingers up their asses? And, uh, and uh, well, no, I don't think they're sitting there with their fingers up their asses. But as you so beautifully explained in your article, the chances of there being any transfers in this period, when um, financially the whole markets are all over the place, nobody knows who's going to be surviving, and there might be easy deals made with people, and we don't know what's occurring. But the chances of anybody being. Uh, Anything happening are so slim. So they may be planning, but they're not going to be. Uh, they're not going to be making a decision. And I don't think they've made a decision about Giroud because they don't know whether there's going to be a next season at the moment. Why tie somebody down? Why? Why be involved in that? Why? Why make any kind of decision at all? I can't see this has any any viable um, truth in it at all. I can't see it. And particularly the 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 complete git who wrote. Um, uh, Coutinho has signed during the week, which was just f- quite
1: phenomenally awful. Is that the one that's blocked you?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Think one of them has blocked me.
1: Too. Yeah, he, he used to write for the Chelsea fan cast. Really? Did he? Yeah. Did he? Yeah,
3: yeah, but then why put these complete? Why? Well, it, well I know it's clickbait, but
1: um, you just but, answered your question there.
3: I know, but what's that? But do not people realise if they put something? Do they? Are they then held to any kind of account later on? Because it's just. <laughs> Entirely wanting people to uh, to follow them or believe they just regurgitate somebody else's idiocy, it just doesn't, it's just so ridiculous. Mm. No, but it's that thing about I don't, well, even even Lee and Toomey did it the other day, discussion about um, or was it Ollie? I can't remember. Ollie, they, they've merged into one, um, that's right, it was Ollie discussing of Ollie Toomey of, of Chilwell, Chilwell and Teles, how they would fit into the setup, and you go, What? what? Well, let's 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 make any kind of combination
1: of players, up. yeah. How about Cruyff Neymar and Pele?
3: Well, yeah, name yeah, Pele and Garincha, that'd yeah. be great, yeah. wouldn't it? See how they'd play. Well, that's I'd, br- sort of I'd bring
1: Huey Gallagher back, actually. But that, well, that's
3: sort of fair enough, Chidge, though. You, you could yeah. say, How would they play within the setup? Yeah, yeah. I like that. You could see tactically what they would do, but to actually say, We are, you know, we're, we're signing them, I mean, the Chilwell thing, for goodness sake, can we just. Leave it
1: alone. Oh, oh. oh, oh, oh. I, well, I, can, I can see I can see the vol, volcanic lava rising. It it Time is. to give him a pause. Tim, is, do you want to have a bit of a final comment on Oli Giroud, whether it's a load of bollocks or what?
0: I've I no idea. I, it, it would make sense to sign him. But as you say, no one knows whether there's going to be a next season. No yeah. one knows what's going on. And certainly most of the journalists don't know what's going on. As, uh, I, I wait until even a Mar- person's photograph sitting next to Marina with a shirt, yeah, all this statement on the club website. Everything else is for the birds.
1: Good, lovely final comment there from Tim. Now, uh, before we go to a break, where, of course, we will be um, talking about uh, the, well, 50 Years of Chelsea, which is our lovely series, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, it's 72-73 uh, in a minute. But before that, something that is that never, ever has fake news in it at all, never, ever has spurious transfer rumour-mongering in it. Uh, because Tim and I write for it and we wouldn't have it and the editor or sheditor should I call him certainly wouldn't and that of course is CFC UK Um, now don't worry about the fact that we can't get it at Fulham Broadway because there's no football it's still going strong I submitted an article uh, for once ahead of uh, the deadline, I actually got it in by five on Friday, Tim. It's almost a record for me. Only uh, because
0: you thought the deadline was Friday.
1: Well, not only that, it's all, also because I wrote it before, about, about five years ago, so yeah. I just had to edit it and, and tweak it a bit, which kind of helped me considerably. But CFC UK is still going strong, and uh, although you can't get it uh, you know, by hand, you can get it digitally by subscribing online at CFC UK dot net or even better you can uh get your hard copy by uh by basically emailing uh cfcuk at gate seventeen dot co dot uk and what you do then is you uh, obviously give them your address uh and you pay two pounds via paypal uh to the same uh email address and uh then dave will get it in the post you first class And you will get it. And I do I mean, Tim, actually, the last one, you you did something rather remarkable on eBay, which I didn't really understand, but that was quite successful, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and all I did, really, I I thought, because Dave was stuck with not just the the most recent issue, but the one before. He was stuck with a lot of unsold copies because we suddenly didn't have any home games. So I just put them on eBay and we sold loads. Um, You have to pay... There's there's a downside. You have to pay eBay commission, PayPal commission, but it did open it out a bit, and it's easier. It's easier than emailing people and everything. I mean, whether Dave's going to do that going forward, I I, I don't know. But it was just so you know, it was just a an attempt to shift some old copies, and it did. So that was fine. Yeah.
1: Excellent stuff. Well, on that happy note, uh, I've learned something as well, which is I'm never too old to learn things. Anyway, after the break, hopefully some people who are younger than me, Jonathan and Tim, will also learn something because we're going to talk about 50 years of Chelsea and the 1972-73 season.
2: Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels.
1: Right, welcome back. This is uh, Stanford Chidge and I'm joined tonight by uh, birthday boy, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, 21 again. Happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me. I do I do have to, to say, it, it, doing the shows on Zoom now, we actually get to see... I mean, normally, you know, Jonathan's lunacy is just an oral experience, but it's nice to see it as an audio-visual one as well. Uh, whether Tim is equally enamoured of this, I don't know, but lovely to have Tim Rolls on the show.
0: Always a pleasure.
1: Right. Uh, now, I'm particularly delighted uh, to say that we've got uh, Tim uh, on the show tonight because, of course, we've been doing this thing called 50 Years of Chelsea And uh, really, uh, the period that we're covering at the moment, which is the early 70s, is a period that Tim knows very, very well, largely because he's written a fantastic book on it called Stanford Bridges Falling Down, which Jonathan and I have been leaning on heavily to do this bit of the show. Uh, And not only is it a great aid memoir, I mean, bearing in mind Jonathan went to a lot of these games anyway, I was too young. Uh, but it really, you know, it's it's it. You just because Tim brings it all together basically, and it's just fantastic. Tim, I'm I'm going to start, you know, with the early part of the season really, which is very much forms the the, the foundation. No pun intended, uh, for your book, which of course this was the season where the East Stand was demolished, uh, you know, pre-season, uh, as part of uh, Brian Mears' uh, great. Uh, Fantastical project, as it turned out, to have a brand new stadium seating i think sixty thousand uh, with the possibility to make it eighty thousand should the need uh, arise, and they were going to have it you know we got the East stand obviously that we all know and love now, but it was going to go all the way round, wasn't it, it as a wrap round it was. A bit like a bit like the Azteca Stadium in Mexico, which i didn't know I learned that from reading your book yeah um so the East End's demolished and the building starts. Um, and reading your book, one of the things that really you kept, as, you, as I knew you would, it was it was such a Tim Rolls moment when I kept on seeing this written every kind of third or fourth paragraph. But where was the money coming from? Well, I I think that the hope was that the
0: team would carry on being successful. It was predicated on getting average crowds of 40,000. And, you know, you have to bear in mind that Two years earlier that we'd won the FA Cup, we've won. We've won in um, in Athens, the Cup Winners' Cup. We should have done better the previous season in Europe and what have you. And confidence w- was still pretty high. I mean, in retrospect, the team was starting to creak, uh, and they didn't have the money to, to buy the, the the players they needed. But the season was was set off really. First game at home against Leeds United, so it's on match of the day. Um, one side of the ground doesn't exist, and they haven't tested at all the access to the ground for people going to the far end of the ground and the old north stand, or the rickety old north stand. So Chelsea decided in their wisdom, A, not to ask the league to have an easier game, because Leeds was one of the biggest games of the season, and B, not to make the game all ticket. So Secretary Tony Green said, no, it's good to be tested, so we'll be tested, and tested they certainly were. 12,000 people locked out. Leeds team almost didn't get into the game at all. Two Chelsea players almost didn't get in. Crash barriers broke. Um, a, a guy called Brian Gash, who's a Chelsea fan many of you people listening will know, would certainly recognise some away games, says the most scared he's ever been at a football match. And he's six foot three. So, it gives you some idea of, of, of the coast. On the pitch, it was fantastic. Chelsea won 4-0, it was on match of the day. But, Kids had to go on the pitch to escape the crush at the shed end. I'm not. I presume you were there, Jonathan? Were you? I was. Where were you in the? Uh, in the we we were all transferred to the west stand. Yeah. They gave us
3: tickets there, and of course they. It was absolutely chaos because yeah. people non-stop. I was just on the end constantly. Nobody had gone to their seats. So yeah. you spent the first twenty minutes having pe- more more than that. People couldn't get in. The whole of the first half was people coming in and you were up and down standing there looking at people and they built the west stand bizarrely so that the the gangways didn't come straight down they came across at an angle i don't know why they decided that was some kind of trendy thing to do so you were always having your vision obscured if you were near the end of the row by somebody walking across to get down to another seat it was absolutely chaotic i mean that was a design fault that had been there since the sixties, yeah. because everybody had everybody had been uh, transferred to these seats for out of the east stand, there was a kind of I don't know expectation that it was a bit better, and it wasn't. It was revealed to be a really crappy stand. Um, yeah. but, and but yeah. people people could have died in the crush. In yeah, the well, well, in, indeed. Well, uh, uh, it was so scary coming round the side. But I, I, it was an era where, as with most of the time, it, it was so many crushes and so many things not working as I've explained to you the, the, before the, the Orient game and the cup game the year before the wall yep. had collapsed and and everybody went on the pitch to escape the possibility that everything Because there'd been no, no legislation applied to, been, there should have been some kind of legislation saying everybody had to upgrade the grounds because the grounds yep. were all, all built in 1905 and nothing had been or earlier there'd been no upgrading of grounds at all and I think Chelsea was a, a perfect example of that but there was a what was so awful about it was the that wonderful expectation you get at the beginning of a, of a new season and you're playing dirty Leeds who we all hated and i keep yeah. going on about this we the hatred for Leeds was hugely excessive in comparison with what we think about Tottenham and all we hate Tottenham and all of that rubbish that goes with it this was an eviscerating kind of you are you are a side that we just don't want to, we would just want to, everybody wanted to beat them and kick them as much as possible, because they were so filthy. Yeah. And uh, um, and yet you would never have seen the team imploding because of Revy's discipline with them in a way that that Chelsea clearly... Um, uh, uh, imploded as the season went on but so you go along thinking this is great we're playing Leeds. I wonder what the ground's going to look like because this is going to be the great vision of the future oh we're going to see all that stand will be demolished what's happened to the north stand I remember going thinking has that been knocked down I know it's still there but it's just nobody's in it because it was but as I said on the show last week um, this business about it swaying it shuddered last you know in the in yeah. the previous season, it shuddered all the time. It used to shudder in the '60s. I remember going in there. You could make it shudder if everybody all stamped at the same time. It, it would all do that. So this wasn't a kind of revel- revelation to us <laughs> at all. It was, it was, it shuddered. I don't know why they didn't keep it going. It wasn't a, a, a hazard. It was the same structure. Um, but anyway, that was empty, but it was still there. So obviously going to come down. But then to be greeted by this this unbelievable throng trying to get in was scary, absolutely scary How'd you, How did you get in? Um, we well you had to go round the the other end you came in through the main entrance and went round the, the side. you went by the back of the shed. you had to go round and uh, um, attempt to get round that way. I, I think you had to go there were there was a bizarre way you fa- I think you went into the shed and round at the top and then you had to walk over and there or well, there was another kind of stairway at the back and that was really hazardous getting in the really hazardous way to get into the westland. So that was kind of that was shaky uh, I can't exactly remember but it was it took an eternity and then you got luckily I got there quite early but you get in and then you see this drama unfolding and once again this the 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 the, the boys I suppose they're given the opportunity to run on the pitch because they're they they've the police are trying to make it look as if you know make sure that there aren't any accidents and some of them of course if you look I've looked at the footage we've seen the footage of it which you kindly sent to us Jid. you get which is on YouTube you get lots of kids running onto the pitch and celebrating because they knew they're on telly. So it was a, it was like it was a kind of you know they're trying to get to the front, wave at the camera. But, but go, they were kids. They weren't hooligans. They were kids. No, they exactly. weren't. They were kids exactly. But it's the same. It's the same at the Orient game. There were so many kids who were just going out there because for for reasons they weren't rioting, which was the instant anybody goes on the pitch. Chelsea fans riot. Oh. Oh, I got so fed up with it. I but got fed up with it as a Chelsea fan. The
1: upshot, the upshot of, of course, of that was that uh, Chelsea put uh, fencing round with three layers of barbed wire. It was, it was yeah. named Stalag SW6 by the press, wasn't it, Tim?
0: That was the News of the World headline, Stalag SW6. And then Chelsea attempted to say that the contractor had exceeded their remit. That's <laughs> a lie. Or Chelsea was so incompetent. That they didn't actually instruct the contract. The story I missed from the Leeds game was the Chelsea fans who broke into an excavator and got it started. I love that you know.
1: story. Hang on, so I can't hear you, Tim. Jonathan, you made Jonathan laugh so much we lost you. So, right. so hang on a minute, let me just re- rephrase. And I remember this from the book. Some Chelsea fans, because basically it was a building site and one half of the pitch, it's wasn't cool. it? And they broke into it during the match and there was a, an excavator there yeah. and they, they did what?
0: They got into the excavator and started it. <laughs> Can you believe what the match was going on? These guys got in and, and Chelsea was saying, yeah, it's, it, it's disgraceful and, and we'll have to have an investigation into how it happened. You know, I'd, I'd imagine there was. I'd imagine the police asked them to have an investigation. I mean, it just summed up the, the whole day. Was a shambles, and the, the good thing was we won four nil against our most bitter rivals.
1: But wasn't wasn't that uh, rather than you know sorry to be a damp squib on all of this, but we we did beat Leeds four uh, nil, which is joyous at any time. But yep. David Harvey went off early, didn't he, with an injury, which meant That's... Peter Lorimer had to go in goal. Yep. Which 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 so they were playing for, with ten men for a while, which kind of made things slightly easy for us. Yeah, it, it, it did, but it's still. You know, you picked up paper the following day and you said Chelsea 4 Leeds you now. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs>
0: and, you know, Revy, you know, Revy, when when Leeds lost, Revy looked ashen-faced, which is always a joy. Is, <laughs> completely ashen-faced after that one. So, yeah, fantastic. You
1: know. I mean, you know, it, 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 Chelsea actually, you know, uh, what people forget, I think, which I, I often find interesting, certainly picking up from reading your book, is that, you know, Chelsea had had a, a you know, had been by their standards, really successful for the kind of previous, I don't know, eight years. They were always finishing kind of top five in the league. There was a building kind of momentum really, wasn't there, with the cup win that that, that maybe yeah. helped them break through the ceiling and they could challenge for the title. And every year for the last two years, people were talking about Chelsea as title contenders. And actually, their one, one thing that usually scuppered them was their appalling starts to the season. But this was different, because actually, yep. their early season form was really good. And they had a tough start, because they played Leicester away next and they drew one all. They then went to the current champions, Darb, Derby, Derby County, uh, where they won 2-1. They then lost... Uh, to Liverpool at home, Liverpool ended up being the uh, the champions that season. They beat City at home two one, and City, you know, were always there and thereabouts in that period of time. They drew 0-0 with United, and they drew one all with Arsenal. So it was a really good start, wasn't it?
0: It was it was a good start, and I think you know, beating City, City should have won the league the previous season when Derby did. They 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 threw it away, and you know, you look at it and that starts to the season, beating or playing well against most of the top teams should have set them up for, you know, a pretty high league league finish, you would have thought, looking, looking at it there. And they were getting, you know, the, the, the press was pretty positive. The crowds were down. I think, to be honest, the Leeds, what happened with the Leeds game, put a lot of people off for a few, for a few weeks. And I think, Joe, that's why Mears put the fences up, was to try and attract the fans back. How I'm does not, that work? Well, exactly because it was, it was. You know, I think the the, the Stalag SW six headline probably put death, but but you know, six weeks into the season,
1: Chelsea were looking good. Yeah, Jonathan, do you remember? I mean, were you at any of those early ma- matches? Do you remember what the mood was like?
3: Well, I was at all of them, um, other than the away ones. Um, the mood was was was, was uh, really optimistic, but. I don't know. We, st- I, I've always suffered from that thing of thinking, well, when will the bubble burst? With you know, we were all surprised they'd started off so well. Um, but um, uh, I mean, I just always got the impression that that you were dealing with with several prima donnas, even at that period. I just yeah. thought that the chances were that one of them would throw a hissy fit and not want to play anymore, or would dislike. I mean, Hudson spent most of the time complaining about playing right wing. And yeah. I think I think that Sexton um Sexton found it very difficult to impose any kind of discipline. I mean to be fair to them, they did suffer a horrendous series of injuries. Just seemed to be non-stop injuries and Hutchinson only came back for uh, for a couple of um Well,
1: that that was really just sort to to of butt in, but that that was really really sad, wasn't it? Cuz Ian yeah. Hutchinson so loved by Chelsea uh, supporters of course, you know, got the last minute goal against Leeds in the first part of the final in 1970, but he'd been out on and off for, about 18 months, and then he kind of got himself fit. I can't... Tim, can you remember who he came back against? But he, he literally, two matches later, was out again with a knee injury, wasn't he? And
0: back that December, I think against Norwich, and the, the crowd was, you know, in a league game, and the crowd was euphoric. He was, you know, serenaded, and I think he scored, and he got, the, yeah. you know, everything yeah. was fantastic. But, you know, he, he was never... He, <laughs> After that play, a, a, a long string of games. He had, he was so unlucky. He had knee injuries. He had broken leg. He had all all Because he was phenomenally brave, phenomenally brave player. I think people underestimate just how physically brave he brave he was. And he got kicked. He got kicked every week. And you know, you, you read match reports, and it would be Southampton kicked him, then Burnley kicked him, and these these the. I mean, Leeds were dirty. Southampton were actually dirtier. And, and, and I, the game he when he got his really bad injury in 71 was against Southampton. And it's no surprise to me. When they had John McGrath, they had Jimmy Gabriel and these people who were just thugs. And, and they would go and kick the opposition best player. And he was, he was our, arguably our best player because he was more consistent than Osgood or Hudson or Cook. He, he did it every week.
3: He was very good at laying off, wasn't He, he laid off... <laughs> balls for uh for them he was a very good yeah. focal point and of course his you forget his long throws were a really you know, talismanic way of of adding more pressure because they were really devastating it was like um Rory Gelap in all his his his, his, his genius it was the same thing you're creating a, a, a an extra opportunity that normally you wouldn't have and he could really bung it far post he was so
0: so terrific a, a well he man. and he won the the, the big match on ITV had a long throw competition, which I think he won. And, you know, long throws were, were fashionable for a couple of years in the early seventies, but he was probably the best exponent. And he, he was the foil for Osgood. And Osgood said that, you know, if, if Hutchinson hadn't been injured, he would probably have been, he would have been a better player and he'd probably been a more focused player. Um, you know, but Osgood was, he had his issues. He was never fit at the start of the season. Hudson was going a little bit off the rails and, you know, as we'll come to in, in a minute, I suspect, you know, we got rid of Cook and Paddy Mulligan. Um, and the wheels started to come off, you
1: know? Well, that, that, is a, that is a good point, actually, Tim, because, sorry, Jonathan, one of the things I wanted to bring up, which I think is a theme that we touched on last week, Jonathan, isn't it? Is that a lot of the disenchantment with some of the, you know, the better players in the team, so Hudson, Aussie, David Webb, for example, all very ambitious, wanting to capitalise on the success we had and started to get a bit disenchanted with the kind of players that we were bringing in. And, you know, from what I understand, you know, Charlie Cook, bless his heart, was probably getting past his sell-by date. Paddy Mulligan wasn't really getting a regular look-in, although he was a good player. So they they went to Palace, didn't they? Uh, And the only signing we made, really, of any substance that season... I mean, this is the other thing, actually, you know, talking about history, which we are in a way, I love the fact that history always repeats. We play South End, don't we, in, a, in yeah. a League Cup match, and uh, I think we won we, we won one 0 we scraped yeah. through, played like shit, because we were complacent as always. Uh, but playing for South End that day was a striker who, apparently, according to the press, was brilliant in the air, but absolutely rubbish on the ground. And that, that guy was that guy was Bill Garner. So what did Chelsea do? They sign him for 100 grand, don't they, Tim?
0: Well, not, not only that, but West Ham thought they'd got it. But Sexton sort of turned up at first thing in the morning and, and signed him. And you know Garner was was an honest player and he was a try. What gets me is when I was researching the book, I discovered that Leicester bought Frank Worthington from Huddersfield a couple of months earlier for eighty thousand, which is twenty thousand less than we pay. Now I'm not. I think Worthington then, you know, Worthington, Osgood, and Hudson going out after training probably isn't what would wouldn't have been what Sexton wanted. But we we overpaid comp- considering what we got really, and you know he was he was a he did he worked his socks off Garner, but he wasn't wasn't what we needed. He was partly to replace um, Hutchinson, but I you know he wasn't he wasn't a replacement for Hutchinson. And I think you know we were we were deteriorating. Hudson was stuck out on the wing. You know we had Kemba scuffling, Chris Garner. They were decent players, but they weren't the, they weren't top class players. We lost Cook.
3: Tori, can you carry on without me for two seconds? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah, and,
0: and I think Selling Cook and, and Mulligan, and it was clear, and it's clear when you read the, the press and you read the, the decent writers, the Hugh McElvenies, the Brian Glanville's, that Chelsea's defence was not good enough. But we did not buy a defender. We sold one, Mulligan, but you know, we still had Dempsey, we had Harris, we had Hinton, all decent players, but they weren't top. We were so reliant on David Webb, and half the time Webb was ended up playing at fullback, or he play, he even you know went in goal in one game in the previous season. So, we, what we should have done probably, rather than bought Garner, was was bought a decent centre half, but we didn't, and we we paid for it that season. And we paid for it for the next two. Years. We didn't buy a defender between a, a top player between like 1969. Uh, when we bought Dempsey and David David Hay in the summer of '74, who we actually bought as a midfielder, and the defence wasn't good enough to to win trophies, and it's obvious in retrospect, and it must have been obvious to Dave Sexton, but the problem was because of the stand, he didn't he didn't really have the money. I think he was given the choice: you can buy a striker or a centre half, and he bought Garner. So there we are.
1: I mean, you know, with the with the benefit of of, of uh, you know hindsight, Tim was this really all down because you know it's, it's very interesting isn't it because th- there has been no really good youth players that have come through for quite a number of years i mean hudson being the last one really yeah. uh, so i mean we all know that sexton was a very good coach uh very good tactically um i mean whether he can be whether he can be praised for his handling of the youth introducing them is a moot point but maybe there just weren't good enough players coming through. But the, I think the real issue here is, did he actually have the money? I mean, I, that question we started with at the beginning of this part, where was the money coming from for the stand? Nobody seemed to know. Um, although the club always denied it, I, I, I always get the feeling he, he, he had two hands tied behind his back when it came to transfers.
0: Absolutely. They kept saying, oh, no, with the money's available for the right players. But it, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, they, they clearly needed to strengthen at the back. Uh, they clearly needed, you know. Cook went, so they they were over reliant on Peter Houtsman as a winger, which is why they had to play Hudson wide. You know, I mean, they went mad the previous season, bought Garner, sorry Garland and uh, Kemba, and had to sell Weller as a result. Um, the money that they got for Cook and um, Mulligan sort of paid for paid for Garner, but they weren't generating the money to pay for the stand and strengthen the team. Other other teams were strengthening and Chelsea weren't. We were occasionally linked with players, but they, they were never serious. We were linked with George Best, you know, but that was never going to happen because we couldn't afford to have paid his wages. Now, it would have filled the ground for a while. So it may have worked in the short term, but I think, you know, I don't think a three year contract, I don't think they could afford They just didn't have the, the money. We, we were selling club under Doherty and we were selling club under Sexton. You know, other clubs had, you know, The Moors money in the, you know, Liverpool, Everton getting getting money from there. Wealthy people at Tottenham putting money in. You know, the Mears families did a lot of great things for Chelsea, but they they were never we were never able to to fund the level of 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 money going in. I mean, I think in the late sixties they did they let us. put David Webb was one of the best signings Chelsea ever made. John Dempsey was a good signing, but we weren't allowed to build on Athens. We got weaker after Athens when we sold Weller and we should have got stronger. And that was a mistake that was made. Because if they had got stronger, particularly at the back, they could have competed for the league in 72 and 73. But as as we know, things went things went in the opposite direction.
1: Well, I- indeed. I mean, in fact, <clears throat> you know, just talked about the South End South match kind of obliquely, which was in September. Uh, I mean, Chelsea's run of form, really, uh, up until the... Uh, what we're going to talk about next, which is the League Cup semi-final against Norwich, was actually pretty good. I mean, we had a bit of a shocker against West Ham and Sheffield United. Yeah. True. But, you know, we we had that habit of not turning up. But we then went on a run. I mean, we, we had one, two, three, four, five, six wins and one, two, three draws until we lost again, which was up at... Anfield at Liverpool, who, as we know, became champions that year, and we had a we had an incredibly weak side out that day. I mean, Steve Shaw played, didn't he? Because he did,
0: and he played well.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, Bonetti. Sorry to interrupt. Bonetti got a really nasty injury against Bury, hadn't he, in the League Cup, which kept him out for two months. He got
0: kicked in the stomach, ironically, by a colleague from the England '66 World Cup squad, John Canelli. It was an accident, but he got really badly hurt and the thing that people probably don't realise about Bonetti is just how many injuries he had. He had pneumonia.
1: Yeah. At the Before Athens, wasn't it? In, in
0: 1971. You know, he was a very, very brave player. Um and, and Sherwood came in because I think John Phillips was was injured as well. Um But, you know, that stage, we did look still like we could be a top four, top four club and maybe qualify, qualify for Europe. as we know that, Sort of things. Things sort of went downhill from there. But we well, were still in the League Cup. You know, we 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 got we got to the semi final, and we had Norwich City at home, who were you know they weren't a great team. They uh they they actually got they finished twentieth that season, so they almost got got relegated. And we played them the week before when Hutchinson came back, and and they had a bloke called Jimmy Bone, who was a Scottish player, came I think from Partick Thistle who was good against us in the league, and papers were saying, oh, Chelsea have got to watch Bone. Unfortunately, they didn't, because in the first 10 minutes, Bone scored in the in the game, the first leg at Stamford Bridge, Bone scored, and he made the other for David Cross, and we lost the game 2-0. And and that, I think some people see that as, as another of these sliding doors moments. If we'd beaten Norwich, or if we'd won that game, and gone through to the League Cup final, then maybe things would have would have got better, the crowds would have improved, you know the money situation wouldn't have been as bad, but we were outthought and outfought by a by a, basically a mediocre Norwich side.
1: I mean that was bizarre, wasn't it? That semi final anyway, because you know the second leg up at uh, Carrow Road, we were putting up a bit of a fight. It has to be said we were three two down. We still yeah. would have been going out, and and then uh, it got called off for fog. I mean it got delayed, didn't it? And. The ref decided to call it off and then 15 minutes after he decided to call it off, the fog cleared and Norwich were absolutely incandescent with yeah. rage, weren't they?
0: They were incandescent. I think Sexton was, was photographed laughing, you know, because he could <laughs> how, how lucky we were. But the fact was we were, you know, we, we did fight that day. But, you know, we, so we were lucky. So we got a second chance, you know, a week later or whatever. But unfortunately, we didn't take we didn't take the second chance, you know, and, and it, it was so disappointing. I think because you know, the League Cup was there for the taking. I think Norwich played Spurs in the final, and Spurs were no were no great shakes. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a particularly sort of quality ridden ridden team, and you know, so we ended up just early in the new year, and we were we were falling in the league. Which, so I guess I haven't got the figure in front of me, but I suspect we were about eighth in the league. And we're
1: out of the League Cup. So we only had the FA Cup. Um, Just before you get into the FA Cup, Tim, I just want to, you know, go, because you talk about the sliding doors moment and and that's something I did pick up from the book hugely. And and it kind of occurred to me, I thought that, you know, the the paragraph or the sentence that you put in there really resonated with me, which was this would be the last major semi-final for Chelsea for 12 years. yeah and 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 I, you talk about a sliding doors moment and i and I kind of wondered you know in 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 a sense was that the end that match that moment was that the end for the king's the king's roadside
0: well i I think it probably was because we never we never got that far again, and all the the ones who who thrived on the adulation of the big games and everything we just didn't have any big games and i think you know i think Sexton was bitterly, bitterly disappointed because he obviously thought, you know, we were on a, on, on a way to Wembley. And to think, you know, all the pain we had to go through before the semi-final against Sunderland in 85, you know, there were, there were two relegations. There was, you know, the terrible, terrible player, you know, team we had and, and what have you. So, so not two relegations, just one relegation. But at that point, I'm sure before the Norwich game, before the first game, everyone thought, well, you know, they're here for the taking. You know, this is Wembley again. And we didn't go to Wembley in a, in a major cup final till, you know, 1994. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was bitterly disappointing.
1: Mm. Well, on that highly disappointing note, we're going to make it worse in a minute. We're going to have a quick break, then we'll come back and we're going to pick it up again. And uh, as Tim was mentioning, we still had the FA Cup to fight for. Uh, and uh, we ended up playing Arsenal. And we'll tell you all about that after this break. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates, follow online commentary, listen to the radio. Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash chelsea fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support the Chelsea fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box.
2: Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. FootballFancast.com.
1: All right, welcome back. This is Stanford Chidge, and this, of course, is the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, we seem to have lost the birthday boy, uh, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. I do not quite know where he's gone, uh, but there you go. And I've got Tim Rolls with me. I still think I've got Tim Rolls with me, although he's. His... Oh, I have! Your, your screen disappeared, Tim. And I'm, I'm oh, here. I'm, I'm
0: just looking up for uh, a very small print in, in Rick Gamble and Paul Dutton's book on that season, just seeing the, the, the games that are coming up.
1: Well, I've uh, well, I've got, they're, they're all in the notes I sent. You, you don't need to refer to that yeah. book. My print's bigger as well. I, I've got a lovely view of your very impressive CD collection.
0: Thank
1: you. That's all right. Any time. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we're the, the joyously. I have to say, I, I really enjoy looking back at these seasons. And, and you know, I was far too young. To have been around then, um, so for me it's a real education. As is, of course, your stunning book, which which features these seasons very, very heavily. Um, now, before uh, we uh, g- carry on, I should I should also say one of the things that I've also enjoyed equally is doing these podcasts with some of these guys who were playing in these matches, the Chelsea specials, uh, and and talk, and, and <clears throat> it's also fascinating hearing what they had to say about a lot of these mass, uh, matches, and it bears out a lot of what you said in the book. So it's a it's a lovely way to square that circle. And By the way, people um, like Tim's books. You know, it's a good time if if you're stuck with nothing to do at the moment to to delve into Tim's books. Equally, uh, you know, the podcast that I did with those boys. I mean, we did Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners, and of course Danny. Uh, Danny Harkins, Eccles of course. Uh now you could download them all uh at chelseyspecial.podbeam.com.podbeam.com. Uh it's 2 quid 99 for each one. A uh, small price to pay less than a, cost, a cup of cup of Costa coffee, which you can't even get at the moment because they're shut. So, so spend your money that you would have had on a coffee on downloading these. Uh and it's easy to do. Once you go to chelseyspecial.podbeam.com there's a a page there that lists all of the podcasts and you click on the one you want. Buy single episode now. Takes you straight through to the pay uh, the, the pay point, which I think is via credit card or PayPal. But there you go. Uh, I commend them to you. You can also follow us on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and the Chelsea special on Facebook. Your books are easy to get hold of, aren't they, Tim?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them through eBay. Um, and if you want, if, if you, I mean, I, I, if you do it through eBay, I, I can sign them. And they're thirteen. The paperback's thirteen quid as opposed to fifteen on Amazon. But you can get the ebook on Amazon, whatever whatever suits you.
1: Right, good stuff. Uh, and they they really are excellent, so I commend them to anybody. Now we we were talking, you know, about uh, very disappointingly going out of the League Cup uh, at the semi final stage against Norwich. You know, undoubtedly we would have been favourites probably to win the competition, let alone beat Norwich. Um, we're still in the FA Cup, of course, at this stage, so that becomes the one competition. Which we really have a sniff at, and we get through uh, against Brighton pretty hard fought match. I think uh, Chopper got sent off in that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah,
0: he? he got sent off. He, him, and a bloke called Eddie Spirit sort of got sent off. The papers described as 17 minutes of madness. Basically, I think Brighton realised they were they were going out and decided to just kick kick lumps at Chelsea, and Harris didn't wouldn't take it anymore, you know. <laughs>
1: Uh, exactly, but uh, well, unlike Chopper, of course, really people give him a bit of a bad rep for that. But he he very rarely did something like that, so he must have been. Uh, ins- I think he he appealed, didn't he? Because he, he said did that. Appeal,
0: yeah, but he he very rarely got sent off Ron Harris. I know there were far less sending offs in those days, and he did do some some bad tackles. But he wasn't. You know, there were people, Ian Eura of Arsenal, Dennis Law, people like that, were sent off far more than uh, than Ron Harris was.
1: Indeed. Um. So we just dis- we dismissed Brighton. Uh, we dispatched Ipswich at home, uh, fairly simply. Um, and they were a decent side in those days. And then we beat Sheffield Wednesday away from home. I think Bill Garner was sent off in that one, wasn't he? A lot of sendings off in the game. It was
0: with, with John Holsgrove, The referee said, after they kicked each other six times each or something, I had enough and sent them off. I think that game, the, the Chelsea support, as I, I mean, I wasn't there, but I know people who were, the, the Chelsea support that day was was phenomenal. Because they all thought, you know, this is our chance. We can get there to, Sheffield Wednesday, were a de- they weren't a great side, but they were a decent side. To win that, and then the draw on the Monday Monday lunchtime against Arsenal. And then suddenly it's the biggest game at Stamford Bridge for years. And you know, the, the excitement, and of course the ground only held 40,000. So Chelsea quite rightly made it all ticket. It was done on CCTV um, because the, the demand was so high. The, the FA and the Football League never let games go on CCTV and cinemas. But they did that one because they realised that the, the demand was so enormous. You had 40,000 at Sanford Bridge. Arsenal, it's, it's on match of the day. I think it was match of the day, not a big match. And, you know, it was it was a great game. And Peter Osgood got one of those great goals. If you just go into YouTube and, do, and, and just key in Osgood-Arsenal, 1973 and it's, it's it's just his finish is superb and he that was one of the games it was a big game and he he responded accordingly and that was one of the great things about oscar he did usually respond in the big games
1: he did indeed i mean it is it's such a famous goal i mean he absolutely clouted it from outside the area and it went in like an set um and of course it was it was the bbc it was it was david coleman so there was lots yep. of one nil yep. one all Two one, it was fantastic, classic. Uh, and I, I actually, I watched it as you know because I, I found all the clips for yep. us to have a look at before we did the show today. And uh, I, I, re- I forgot how economical Coleman was with his commentary. Coleman's commentary was basically just to say the name of the player that it, it had just been passed to, until somebody scored, at which point he would go one nil or just read the score. Yep. Uh, and I just, I mean, and it sounds crap, but actually, it's perfect.
0: It worked very well. It worked very well.
1: Why say any more? Yeah. All this inanities that modern day commentators come out with. But there you go. So, Aussie scores a great goal. Um, Johnny Hollins scored a decent goal that day as well, didn't he? He did. did. And and what people forget is that
0: Hollins was an ever present for three or four seasons in a row in the early 70s. And the other thing people forget is that he, he, Bonetti and Webb were actually the key players in the team. The key players weren't so much Osgood and Hudson. The people who did it week in, week out were Hollins, Webb, and, and Bonetti. And you know, Hollins—I don't think has ever really got the praise that he that he deserves. But he was—he was every week. He worked his socks off, and, and to score against it. Of course, the irony is, two years, well, three years later, whatever he was playing for, playing for Arsenal. But that that game, you know, got two all draw. Obviously, they they were disappointed. But then you go to Arsenal. Three four days later for for the replay, enormous crowd. I think it's sixty two thousand,
1: something Something like that.
0: Something sixty five. Sorry, sixty two thousand seven hundred. Loads and loads and loads of Chelsea fans there, and Chelsea take the lead. You know, Peter Helfman I think scored after about ten minutes. But the the game will be remembered for one thing, and the one thing is the 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 penalty where. Steve Kemba brought down George Armstrong and it was in the box. The referee gave it outside the box. And in those days, there was obviously no VAR and all everything. But Alan Ball and Frank McClintock were senior Arsenal players, complained to the ref, complained to the ref, and he changed his mind. And referees never changed their minds. And McClintock admitted afterwards that we knew the ref, basically, if we shouted at him long enough, there was a chance he'd changed his mind. So... And Arsenal scored that, and then Ray Kennedy scored. So Chelsea went out, and they were robbed. And it was a huge fuss in the paper. Even Jimmy Hill, who was no fan of Chelsea, said how Chelsea were robbed because they were. I mean, if if Chelsea, if Chelsea had got that game, you know, Chelsea managed to get a win out of that game, it would have transformed their season. It would have transformed the club. The crowds would have been higher. We'd have had the money from the semi-final. And Arsenal played Sunderland in the semi-final, which they lost. But Sunderland weren't a great side either. And, you know, if Chelsea got that sort of money, then it would obviously have helped financially when the, when the, sort of this, when the shit hit the fan going forward. It, and there would have potentially been European football. So it, it would have transformed, potentially transformed the club. But we lost and we were out. And the season was basically dead.
1: Yeah, I mean again reading it it it, it, it seemed like the, the you know as you as you kind of articulated there that was if if Norwich the Norwich semi you know wasn't the end of the kings of the kings roadside then that Arsenal match really really was and I think the other thing that comes through of course is the fact that it kind of showed us really that uh, you know that we needed to spend money to, if yep. we were if we were to actually you know capitalize on the potential that that squad had but basically the money wasn't available again and as you say after that point it became increasingly unavailable and it's it's funny how it works doesn't it it's kind of a vicious circle tim yeah uh, And 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 chelsea seemed to be very much caught up in in that in that vortex um after that, our season basically, you know, capitulated, didn't it? I mean, yeah. we we went on a terrible run of form. Um, in fact, actually, we lost one, two, three, four, five, f- five matches on the trot, uh, and and slipped down the table. There were points at the, t- at the in in the in the running where, I mean, you could if we hadn't won, I can't remember the match now, but if we hadn't won one match, we might have uh, we might have been in the relegation zone.
0: Yeah, I think you know, beating Southampton late on. Sort of That's helped. it. But you know. We we went you know, from being top three or four at the start of the season. We finished sort of twelfth. And and we were we weren't exactly in free fall, but we were the, the I think the morale had gone. I think Hudson admitted himself that by then he his motivation had gone. We'd lost Cook, who was our most our most skillful player. Osgood was was been more difficult. We didn't have the flair. Hutchinson was injured most of the time. We were over reliant on Garland and Garner, and you know, and we had weaknesses. To be blunt, you know, the, 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 there was an argument for replacing the entire defence apart from Webb because they weren't good enough. But the, the the money wasn't there, so they had to soldier on with Harris and Dempsey and Hinton uh, uh, and these guys and the the kids and uh, the, the the one asset the sort. of the plus that season was the emergence, excuse me, of Gary Locke came through at right back when Mulligan went and stayed in the team. And he was, he was a fine young player. He was you know, he was, he, after Hudson, he was the first one to, to come through and cement his place. And he was excellent, but he was playing, playing with blokes who weren't that good, who were, who were in decline, who were injury prone. Um, And there was a motivational issue. With, with some of the better players you know the, the supposedly better players so it, it was a difficult time Eddie McCready was, I mean he, he played most games that season but he was you know after that he was increasingly injury prone he was getting on the team the team wasn't getting better the club needed the team to get better to pay to, to, to get the 40,000 crowds in 40, to, to help pay for the stand and the team was getting worse you only have to look at those, that run of you know it was about one win in 11 towards the end of the season you know
1: which was, I think, amongst the, the worst runs that, that Sexton had in his yeah, Chelsea management. Yeah, and, and in fact, actually, our finish of 12th was the worst finish we'd had, I think, since 1962. Yep. Which, which shows you that, you know, for various reasons, which I'll get into in a minute, this was a team in decline. But before we do that, there was obviously the final match of the season, which meant absolutely diddly-squat, not, zilch, nada, nothing which was a match against Chelsea versus Man United which funnily enough was uh 50 hang on 47 years ago tomorrow on the 28th of April 1973 but it is incredibly memorable for one very special occasion it was actually Bobby Charlton's uh last football match in the game certainly for Man United anyway and uh the stadium was absolutely rammed and uh i mean were you were you there tim no i I wasn't there no in those days
0: i did did very few games and just couldn't afford to go um but it was it was i mean chelsea did it very well they did a presentation before the match um i think brian nears gave him a bizarrely an inscribed cigarette case but it was done very well it was on television it was in all the papers so uh yeah i mean Bobby, what people forget is how loved Bobby Charlton was. You know, apart from winning the World Cup, he'd survived Munich. He scored two goals when Man United won the European Cup, and he wasn't just loved by United fans. He was loved by everybody, and I, I think you don't get that these days, where a player is so loved. And I don't think you know, Chelsea fans chanted his name after the game. You just wouldn't get that now.
1: And yeah. Go on, go on. No, I was going to say. I saw the footage again, and and that was absolutely clear that all all, all three sides of of the ground were were absolutely chanting yeah. Bobby Charlton's name. It was uh, very emotional. It it clearly seemed like that, um, uh, and remarkable a remarkable thing to see actually, because as I said, football is so completely different now. Yeah, I mean the the other thing, of course, to remember uh, was uh, that. Peter Osgood was the party pooper because he scored the winner in a 1-0 in a win. And, of course, it, it basically – this is also a very famous image for me growing up as a kid because it was always used on things like the big matches, title sequences and stuff. But it basically bounced off his shin and went in. Really scrappy goal. And he kind of, like, ends up in the net, falls on his knees apologetically and kind of shrugs to the shed end, doesn't yeah, he?
0: Yeah, he's, he's laughing. Yeah, I mean, he realises the sort of uh, – because the game didn't actually matter to us at all. The game mattered – because of Bobby Charlton. And I'm sure even some Chelsea fans would have loved it if Charlton had done one of his 30-yard specials. Although, to be honest, he was probably three years, sort of three or four years past his best. But it was it was probably just as well, it was Man United and it was him because the crowd was 44,000. Because a, re- and a a crowd a couple of weeks earlier against Stoke was 19,000. So wow. It showed how, it showed how things had, had, had slipped. But that, because it was Man United, who always brought loads of fans... And, And there was always a huge, huge interest in them. And you you chuck into Bobby Charlton. So I think Chelsea did it pretty well. Brian Mears did it pretty well. You know, it was his last game. Charlton seemed genuinely touched with the uh, presentation because it wasn't like today where they do, you know, these things are more common. I don't think Charlton necessarily expected it to happen.
1: Indeed. So there you go. So that was that was the 1972-73 season, probably the most disappointing season Chelsea had had for nine on 10 years. Yep. Um, there are so many issues around this season, Tim, to kind of summarise. Um, and I shall, I shall pose this question. I mean, you know, inconsistent form, inconsistent team selections, much of that, of course, possibly down to a ridiculous amount of injuries. I think something we used 28 players throughout the season, um lack of goals uh, i think it's the lowest uh you know i mean usually the midfield chipped in but just to give you a bit of an example osgood was the top scorer with 17 but he'd scored he'd scored he'd scored 31 goals a few years before so you know uh chris garland got 14 Bill Garner got 10 uh, Johnny Hollins, who'd scored loads of goals before, he got four. Hudson didn't score any, so there's a, a lack of goals was also a big problem for the side, I think. Hudson um,
0: bet at the start of the season with Osgood, that that's scored, right. He five, he scored ten goals that season. He scored none because he, his, he, his motivation had gone. And you know, Sexton was on at him and on at him to shoot more. But I mean, for whatever reason, he didn't he didn't score any at all. And we were. We were, yeah, we just didn't have, we were, we were too reliant on Osgood and he only actually scored 11 in the league. He got six in other competitions. But you're not going to come anywhere in the league if your leading scorer's got 11 goals, you know.
1: Well, indeed. I mean, it's actually interesting talking about Hudson, isn't it? Because, when I mean, he had a poor season. He got increasingly frustrated and he actually put in a transfer request, didn't he, at the end of the season. So that, that season really was the beginning of the end for Hudson, wasn't it?
0: It, it was. And I think, you know, the, you, you'll come to this next week the, the things got a lot worse but I think it was the beginning of the end for uh, for Hudson I think the, the the team you know Webb I mean Webb was a, a totally wholehearted player but I think a number of them you know were looking around seeing that the team wasn't getting any better they were good youngsters but they weren't they were a couple of years away from being ready to, to come into the side the Ray Wilkins Gary Stanley you know Ian Britton played a few games that season um but you know the, the, the kids weren't ready to come in. The the ones who did so much under McCready sort of three or four years later. So I think that you know, the the, the was there. There was a they went on tour to Iran that summer, uh, and I don't know the ins and outs. But Rick Rick Granville wrote somewhere that uh, you know that it was a oh yeah, it's in in Rick Rick and Paul um, Paul Dutton's book when the end-of-season tour of Iran became a boozy, bad-tempered nightmare for Sexton, the die was cast. So the season ended and they, they went off to Iran. And, uh, you know, which was, was an interesting place to go, even in uh, 1973. But, uh, yeah, even... Yeah, Sexton, obviously, you know, he tried... He, he, he was a nice guy. He, he, he was a brilliant coach, but he didn't like dealing with conflict. And, obviously, he had particularly with Odsgan and Hudson, but he had, uh, he had and, you know, and Baldwin as well. People, strong personalities who, who didn't like the sort of sergeant major routine. That, well, Sexton liked the players like uh, Peter Houseman, Bonetti and Hollins, who were family men and went home to their families after training. What he didn't like was those who spent the afternoon in the restaurants and bars of the King's Road.
1: Hus- uh, well, which was Hutchinson, Osgood, Cook, Hudson and Bourbon. That was the afternoon yeah. drinking club, wasn't it? It was. Um, just going back to Aussie and, and Hudson, I mean, there were rumours, weren't there, all season? Not, not, I mean, I know we, we mentioned that uh, Ch- uh, Georgie Best was, you know, Chelsea bound. And of course, the reality was is that there's no way we could have possibly afforded him. But there was also talk of swaps, wasn't there? Osgood for Best or Hudson for Best. or I mean, also Rodney Marsh was 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 uh, touted as a uh, a possible acquisition as well or or swap which I find really hilarious given that it was Marsh that was keeping Aussie out of his uh, out of the England team
0: yeah well it was interesting with um, with Marsh because he'd gone from QPR to Man City to win them the league and they hadn't won the league and he hadn't settled in there and I think they was thinking that maybe if you got him back to London he could he would turn it on again and maybe it was time to move Aussie on and talk of you know swapping Osgood for for best but you know Jonathan you know will Talks about the the modern era of of transfer rubbish. The amount of rubbish written about Osgood and Hudson and Best and Marsh in the in the sort of nineteen seventy two nineteen seventy three was unbelievable. Literally, it's like oh, we haven't got much news today, so let's write a George Best is off to London story.
1: <laughs> jo- Jonathan was, would have right. had a field day too. Yeah,
0: absolutely, <laughs> it was just astonishing, and it all had one thing in common: it was rubbish. You know,
1: <laughs> there's just a couple of things that uh, that I want to tie A couple of loose ends that I want to tie up. Really, Tim. The first one is the uh, the the which I forgot all about actually. I mean, we should really incorporate this into a lot of the chats we do about these seasons. But we had the, the red hung, what I call the hungry kit. So a red shirt, white shorts, and green, red, and and white socks, which I saw us playing a few times from the clips that I got. That was amazing. What was that all about?
0: I, I to be honest, kits aren't my aren't my speciality. There's others who, who know better than me. But I think they, they did do some nice imaginative away kits in the um, in the early and mid seventies. You know, they, they seventy six seven they had the green and the one and the red one. So I think it was just an attempt to be to be a bit different. And of course, when you saw that on Match of the Day, when we were playing away in the FA Cup, it did look it did look pretty impressive.
1: It did but indeed. Uh, might know more to be honest, Jonathan. Anything about the red away kit?
3: Um, um, no, I just remember it emerging and it looking excellent. Um, because it was such a weird thing to have, considering uh, it bore no relation to any of the colours that the, the team normally had. Very uh, bizarre. I went to the uh, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday Cup game away and rather foolishly stood in the, um, the cop, the the Sheffield Wednesday cop. and managed to keep completely quiet till Ghana, um, till the second goal was scored. I can't remember who scored the second goal. Ghana scored the first, I think. I and mean, Osgood <laughs> scored the second goal, I think. And um, myself and my mate leapt in the air and were looked upon. And I thought we're going to be hit, aren't we? I thought we've made a very foolish decision to, to leap up here. But um, um, we were we, we we looked younger than we looked younger than we were. And I think they took pity on us because we were very quite little. Him and my mate, me and my mate. Um, uh, but no, I think we played in the yellow and blue one as well. I got that impression that season that that was still a still a fixture. Perhaps it was considered the third kit. I mean, I'd like to know who who set that up the whole process of buying those kits. Cause that was a really, um, a really outstanding in the sense that it stood out. Yes. Kit. I just thought that was unbelievably impressive. I mean, who would decide to wear a hungry kit? Unless of course what? the person who, who did, who, who somebody sponsored it was from Hungary. There's always that possibility, but you never uh, know in those kind of strange times of them searching for money. Um, uh, but yeah, we thought there was going to be a great cup run, didn't we? And, uh, um, and unfortunately, I was present also at the Arsenal away game with the ridiculous refereeing decision.
0: Yeah, I've, I've covered the uh, the penalty that wasn't. And yeah,
3: with with, uh, I, with with bringing it all back, Tim. That's the, as I keep saying to you the the horror of reading your fantastic books, which are really so brilliantly written. And I really do emphasise anybody listening to this, it really is worth reading Tim's stuff because he. It makes you feel you're there, and it just, particularly in my point when I was there, and I'm led through this quagmire of awfulness, of uh, these things coming back to me, of this this penalty that never took, never was, and we're all going, what
2: oh, fuck's sake, what, what's going Of course it wasn't a
3: penalty, oh, God. And entirely, I remember saying to the people I was with uh, watching, that he's been persuaded by McClintock. Bloody yes. McClintock yes. has persuaded the referee to consult and change the, changed his decision and we thought it was absolutely horrendous
1: right. It was well, one thing i want to wanna, which we haven't talked about which i'm i I wonder if jonathan would have been at this match in fact maybe she was his guest and not jimmy hill's tim <laughs> raquel, and that's, yeah. Yes. yeah bizarrely uh well jimmy hill invited raquel welch uh to stanford bridge to watch a game she was part of a documentary i believe but it's quite a story isn't it tim
0: it is quite a story. I mean, Hang on a
1: minute, before we start it, for those of you who are under 50, Raquel Welch was probably the preeminent kind of supermodel actress type of her time, wasn't she, Tim?
0: She was indeed. And we were playing Lester and she was Jimmy Hill's guest. And they were sitting, I think, in the old North Stand. And But it was, it was all, there were the two biggest self-publicists in England at the time, were Raquel Welch and Jimmy Hill. So you put the pair of them together. One had a
1: prominent chin.
0: Yeah. Indeed. I won't go any further with that one. (laughs) um, (laughs) Anyway, she was there. The TV cameras were on her. Chelsea thought it would be good PR, but, you know, she left, I think with about half an hour to go and walked along the, the touchline because the uh, East stand had been demolished and was sort of shouting, come on Aussie with the cameras on her. And you, you know, it was it was just a complete nonsense, and and I think the, the the fact the TV liked it because the big match showed it obviously because Jimmy Hill worked for ITV, and yeah, you know, they all liked it. But the, they got slaughtered. Chelsea got slaughtered in the press for this trivialization and using the whole thing. It was to publicise her new film Annie Calder or whatever it was, and and Hill got really upset. No, no she's a real football fan, and it was more to her than just publicity. And it, I mean. It got a load of publicity for Chelsea, but I mean, others may have a different take, Jonathan, but it didn't seem to be like particularly good publicity. It's no, just I, embarrassing, you
3: know. No, I agree completely. And I remember I was there, but it was all because she walked down from the north stand down by yeah. the old east stand. It was too yeah. far away because we were in the west stand. So we were trying to work out what was going on, actually. I remember saying, oh, it's, oh is, is it Rackle Welsh? We're all going, is it Rackle Welsh? Is that Jimmy Hill there? Because we're, 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 say, the other side of the pitch. We're halfway up the west stand. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it sort of went, I and mean, then the game carried on, and we we just watched it. But it was a kind of distraction. But as a fan, there, it wasn't. I think they were saying um, uh, uh, some people were saying it was a uh, it was, you know, hugely distracting for the players. But I, I I got the impression that they were quite pleased to see her. Actually, I don't think it was wasn't distracting in a in a negative way. You know, they went, oh, who's that? Who's that rather attractive model on the side? You know, um, who looks like Rackle Welsh? Um, it was. Um, yeah, it was just an incident and she just wandered down the side of the pitch for about five minutes. And uh, But, but and, she got photographed in a
0: Chelsea shirt.
3: Yeah, she did, ultimately. Yeah, of course, she,
0: she did. That, having... that, the
3: idea was that Oscar was supposed to have had an affair with her, but I thought that was yeah, a load of rubbish.
0: Yeah, and, that was a little at yeah. the time. I think Hugh Paul, sort of, who was, was probably the preeminent journalist at the time, I think he, he, he rubbished that one. He said it was just a publicity stunt for her and for Hill, which it was, you know.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, there you go. Classic Chelsea in many respects, uh, and uh, I mean, an interesting season, even though it was ultimately disappointing. But uh, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed that trip down memory lane. Tim, I mean, not we've Jonathan and I have been saying on the show. Just absolutely loved reading your book, but to have you on the show talking about it as well, with the the, the pool of knowledge that you've gained uh, from being from being around, you know, around then, and also you know, writing the book, has been absolutely brilliant. So thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Right. Now, uh, of course, it's time for a quick break.
2: Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Football
3: FootballFancast.com
1: Okay, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, you're listening to me, Stanford Chidge, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Hello. And uh, the absolutely marvellous Tim Rolls. Uh, Hello. It's been a fascinating show i mean tim's as i said you know i've so enjoyed doing the, the you know the 1973 72 73 season but uh time to get on with the modern day or do we we've got a couple of em- Ooh, we've got a couple of emails to read out uh the first one is for you jonathan
3: this is from lawrence barnes well chaps congrats on the 500th show amazing stamina there also thanks for giving us content at a time i'm going insane stuck in my place so appreciated so, found myself reflecting given the lockdown on your 500th. Came up with some memories that are worth a note. Rewatching the Liverpool Cup games that were my phase for years. God, Yes, there were some wonderful moments. They weren't there weren't. For me, the greatest game I ever watched that wasn't for a trophy became a wonder down memory lane. Well, luckily, I found a little YouTube footage. I remember halftime, 3-0 down to Bolton at home. How Chelsea did <laughs> that? Only to bang on for a lot of my early years. Enter Flasher Walker, poor Clive. <laughs> Suddenly, the most amazing and heart-stopping comeback I ever saw. I was there. Too many. Didn't
0: Allardyce? Didn't didn't Allardyce? Sorry, Tim. Go on. I was going to say, yep. That was that was that game was that epitomised Chelsea. The only thing it didn't epitomise was we actually. I thought we'd probably come back to three all and then lose four three.
3: Yes. Yes.
0: And for Sam Allardyce's own goal to be the winner, you just couldn't make it up. Fantastic.
3: Didn't Trevor Aylott score a goal in that? Didn't he score a couple?
0: I'm not sure Walker got... Hang on, I've got Rick's book here. I'll uh, carry on. You have have a look and we'll
1: we'll carry on. on.
3: Too too many names from that era of my heroes. Rarely get a look in given the foreign influx later. I love Drogba, Zola and Hazard. Don't we all? Don't we all, Lawrence? But as a kid, the late, great Bonetti. Yeah, Chopper, Gary Locke. Gary Locke such an unsung player, wasn't he, ultimately? Kenny Swain. Best backside in the world, Kenny Swain. Ian, according to the woman (laughs) who sits next to me, anyway, Lynn. Ian Britton, Gary Stanley, yeah, yeah, Butch, Tommy Langley, Mickey Droy and Stevie Wicks. The love of this club was down to these geezers on muddy pitches and ankle high tackles in Division Two, as was. They weren't the good old days for silverware, but it was an era where this lad from Lewis Trust Buildings found the greatest gift of my life, bar my kids.' Oh, and another memory. On a newsagent on the Broadway, I bumped into a couple of drunk skinheads after the Bolton win. Got challenged as to, as to the team of my choice. The test was who played number 10 to Aussies 9 with blonde curly hair. Thank, thankfully, despite shitting myself, I got Chris Garland out and they looked elsewhere for trouble. Oh, now I have a pod with some other old farts to keep me feeling connected. <laughs> Thank you very much. I I enjoy being an old fart. Thanks, Laurie. Feeling connected even this side of the ocean when a ball isn't being kicked. Cheers, lads, and keep it going. Good stuff. It's nice, isn't it, to be able to have that effect. So it is all right being old, Chidge. You can be old with them. Some of
1: them appreciate it. I'll get there one day.
3: Yeah, eventually you will.
1: Eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just love that.
3: Jump with me, though, Chidge. Remember that.
1: Even though, yeah, I keep trying, but I'll never, ever catch you up yeah, no. yeah. On, on this. This is true. I, I particularly like that anecdote about being challenged about who, who you supported sure. and having to, to name one of the side. You know, for somebody like me who's got a memory like a goldfish and being put on, on, on you know, under pressure like that, that would have been just terrible. But well done, Lawrence, for blurting out Chris Garland. Um, okay, uh, we only have two emails this week. You need to come. On. You know, you're not furloughed. Stop, you know, get, stop what you're doing. Write an email. You, you write them, we'll read them out. It's as simple as that. Anyway, this is from the lovely James Gooden, who I had the delight of meeting uh, last year on the uh, the, the World War One Battlefield Tour, which Alex Churchill organised, uh, which was just fantastic fun. And and James was lovely. We had great fun with him. He says, Hi, Chidge. James from last year's Battlefield Tour here. Just wanted to drop you a note to say how much I'm enjoying the, the reviews of the early 70s. I was at boarding school, so I didn't get to many games, but I was at both legs of the Tottenham semi-final. That was last week's show. Christmas holidays, Orient away, half-term, and even the 3-0 Tottenham away game, Easter Holes. I sat in the North Stand once for a League Cup game against Plymouth. Uh, I bet I bet the stand shuddered, James, according to JK. It was a regular occurrence. Good stuff. Thank you. I would promise to meet you for a beer at Lord's, but sadly, that's unlikely to be happening this summer. All the best, James. I fear... On that point, James, you may well be very, very uh, correct. And what a bloody shame. It's not just the football that we're missing. It's going to be the
0: cricket. Tim will
1: be upset with that as well, no doubt. Absolutely.
0: I've got my tickets, which I'm not going to be using for test matches at Lords and the Oval. But to be honest, there's bigger things in life.
1: Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got a couple of days up at Trent Bridge, apparently. Maybe that'll still go ahead, but I very much doubt it. I actually got... I mean, I, I, I missed the boat for Lords, but I had, you know, as always nefarious ways of getting hold of a ticket and i was told by my contact not to bother yep you know so he knew he knew anyway never mind uh that i'm afraid people is all we've got time for this week um we will be back next monday when jonathan and i will hopefully jonathan be joined by neil smith uh who is the author of where were you when we were shocking i say hopefully because i haven't actually phoned him up to ask him yet (laughs) so i don't i don't even know if neil can do zoom
3: can we not try it on uh, on Skype? We could try. We
1: can do whatever we want. I, I'm sure Neil will be three, and I mean he is just. I mean, uh, I know that Tim knows Neil fairly well. I mean, he's one of the nicest people you'll meet at Chelsea.
0: He is, and his his anecdotes are just fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
1: I I interviewed him for that book, funnily enough, uh, and he was hilarious. We spent two and a half hours talking, and we we, we could have done another three. Yeah. Um and I interviewed him with Mark Meehan for the Eddie Mack book and he was hilarious. we did that in a pub, which was slightly foolish, because we were all absolutely rat ass by the end of the interview, but it was still very good. But Neil's kind of in a sense part of my original mob. I mean he used to knock around with Psycho Phil in the seventies, who was you know, and Phil and Martin and his boys were who I kind of hooked up with when I came back, you know, many, many years later. So I love Neil to pieces. So hopefully he'll say yes if he does uh, we'll obviously be talking about the latest Chelsea news if there is any and uh, we will also be looking back at the 1973-74 season in the 50 years of Chelsea series which i can tell you <laughs> unequivocally was even worse than this season
0: calamitous i think is probably the word <laughs>
1: <laughs> and as ever as ever tim we will be drawing heavily on there just actually is proof if 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 people don't believe me i do actually do research i i you know i've been reading tim's book i've been reading rick's books I've been watching YouTube clips. I've been doing the groundwork for this to say that I do nothing before I turn on the mic is an absolute lie, and I won't have it. Uh, But uh, that change nobody. uh, Nobody. I'm making it up as always, you know. I'm making it up. But uh, there we go. So that'll be next week. So I can't wait for that. Now, before that, this Friday uh, we'll have another edition of My Chelsea with the Right Reverend Tony Glover. Uh, that should be a giggle I enjoyed, enjoyed talking to to, uh, to Tony about that by the way Tim if you're ever free for half an hour or so sometime in the week I need to get you down for one of these yeah, they're great fun fine. just give
0: me a shout I'm around obviously
1: <laughs> yeah obviously we've all got free time at the moment so it's okay but no they're great fun because it's basically just you talking about how you how you found Chelsea and, and some of your favourite matches yep. and players and that oh, kind of it's great, great fun
0: happy to do
1: that the only thing that's missing with these as Tony rightly pointed out when I did it with him last Friday is the fact we don't have beer and a being in a pub to do it. That would make it perfect, but never mind. We can always have the beer, just can't have the pub. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. There we go. Tim's on the list. So there we go. He'll be coming at you f- in future episodes. Uh Fancast as you know, always available as a podcast on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify as well as other Podcast distributors. Talking of which, uh, you can also find us and uh, many other Chelsea fancasts. Uh, fan there's only one fancast. Many other Chelsea podcasts on CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently eloquently put here. Easy for me to say. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews,
0: and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues
1: app now from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, right. Follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chid, Jonathan at Jonathan Kid, Dean at Dean Mears and Gate Seventeen, Marco is Marco, and uh, also at Joe Tweedy, at Goldie Fifty Nine, that's Clayton, at Grocer UK, at Martin Wickham, at Dan Seventy Three, at Liam underscore Toomey, at CFCGWLb, which would be Alex, and of course Tim is at Tim underscore I am. Yep. There you go. I managed to remember that without having to write it down. I'm getting better. Uh, there we go. That's enough. Oh, and Dean Mears, of course. That Dean Mears. How remiss of me to forget him. Don't forget to check out our Instagram and Facebook accounts at Chelsea Fancast. That I'm afraid is it. I'm, I'm amazed we got through this. All the the, the hoo ha we had at the beginning with Virgin, which people who listen to the podcast will wonder what on earth I'm talking about. Uh, fantastic uh, discussion early on. Uh, about important issues and a really, really good fun bit in the middle with Tim talking about 1972-73. I have really enjoyed tonight.
0: Good. Yeah, I have as well. Can I just give a quick plug? Yes. I, I retweeted your tweet about this, basically to say that for the next two days, the paperback's available for just £13 on eBay. So if you search the name of the book or look at my Twitter account, you'll get the link through to eBay. And it's 13 quid including postage. And I'll I'll sign and dedicate it.
1: Good man. What's at me? Pretty much what you just said, because yep. there's a chance that people might not hear this in time, but I'll put it out on the tweet when I put yep. the tweet out that links to the show. So there you yep, go. We'll do, yeah. All right. Tim, you've been an absolute troopist and I really enjoyed that. Great having your knowledge on board. Jonathan, as always, an absolute absolute pleasure.
3: Thank you very much, and thanks for bearing with my exit a bit later on. It's very <laughs> sweet of you. Thank you.
1: No, that's all right. It's a shame we missed out on on the anecdotes of you being at those games, but considering what a load of bollocks the season was, probably not too much of a miss. Well,
3: you'd I'd have been miserable, and you'd have had to scrape me off the floor. I just well, more and more miserable as that went on because I did. I remember. Exactly I can't wait. Miserable.
1: What? I can't wait till next week's oh, misery. No, then,
3: please, no, uh, yes, but okay.
1: All right. Okay. Hopefully, with Neil Smith, we'll keep you posted. Now, that's it. Thank you, particularly to the people of Mixler who've uh, been long-suffering tonight, thanks to Virgin. Uh, You're always brilliant coming in here, and I do love you for it. Right, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the the
3: chills!